This is Taiwan Bound, the English language podcast of Tel Aviv University. Please welcome your host, Ido Aroni, Tel Aviv University's graduate, member of the Board of Governors, lecturer, writer, and veteran diplomat. Welcome to yet another episode of Tao Unbound. I'm Ido Aharoni, your host, and today it is my pleasure to host in our studio a person who really shaped uh, Israel's cybersecurity and space programs. Uh, he's a major general in the Israeli army. He's a doctor. He's a former member of the Knesset. He's a professor at the university, uh, Professor Yitzhak Ben Israel. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for taking the time to uh, to spend uh, some time with us to chat. Um, I need to just go over your official titles. You're the director of the Blavatnik Interdisciplinary Cyber Research Center and the Yuval Neiman Workshop for Science, Technology, and Security at the Tel Aviv University. As I mentioned before, you're a former member of the Knesset. You served in the Knesset from 2007-2009. Um, you served in the Prime Minister's Office from 2010-2012, laying the foundation for what would become the, the National Cyber Directorate. And, um, and you are currently, uh, and this is very, very interesting, the chairman of the Israeli Space Agency and the National Council for Research and Development under the auspices of the Ministry of Science, Technology, and Space of the Government of Israel. And needless to say, you're also the leader of the now internationally acclaimed uh, Cyber Tech Week, which takes place here uh, in Israel every year. So that's that's plenty. Uh, do you have any time to uh, to rest? <laughs> uh, but allow me first to uh, correct certain things that you said. <clears throat> uh, what we have here is the Cyber Week uh, conference, not Cyber Tech, it's a different event. Cyber Week conference, we, we have it, uh, we did it a uh, uh, few weeks ago. Uh, it was number 13, Bar Mitzvah. Beautiful. So, so we are doing it now for almost 13 years. Um, and um, uh, I uh, didn't serve at the office of uh, the Prime Minister. I was asked by the Prime Minister in 2010 to submit to the government a plan, a national plan, how to make Israel one of the top five countries in the world in cybersecurity. And I submitted this plan. It turned into a national plan. I helped in, in setting it up at the beginning, but this was voluntarily without any... Uh, uh, I was not really... I didn't have any official... Uh, yeah, and, and I think of many of the things that you do, yeah. uh, you do voluntarily. Uh, when, and, I, and I urge our listeners and our viewers to actually check your biography online, which is quite impressive. And, and obviously, I don't have time to, to read everything. I also should mention that you're involved in the design of uh, rules or, or uh, policies or protocols to make cyberspace more safe for nations and for corporations. Yeah, but this is part of the cyber. I mean, actually, I came to Tel Aviv University some... 2002. 2002, 21 years ago, um, uh, at the request of the president of Tel Aviv University, then Professor Itamar Rabinovich, to set up this uh, institute that you mentioned, uh, which now we call after the name of Yuval Lehman, for science, technology, and, and security. And we had to 
choose, this was 20 years ago, what technologies we should uh, put our emphasis on researching. Of course, the, the whole idea was to not to speak about technologies by, by itself, technology by itself, but on the impact of technology on security. And we chose three different areas to begin with. One was uh, space technology. It was only natural that a few years afterwards I became, uh, for 17 years, the chairman of Israeli Space Agency. The second one was uh, what nowadays we call uh, cybersecurity. We, we used different names at, uh, 21 years ago. And the third one is, uh, we called it then robotics. Uh, we meant what nowadays is called artificial intelligence, AI. So we started this 21 years ago uh, here at Tel Aviv University. Some of the subjects were already uh, developed in Israel, but not in, uh, well, I mean, if I give you an example, 2011, when the plan I mentioned was accepted by the government and became a national plan how to make Israel one of the top five countries in the world in cybersecurity, in 2011, 10 years after I came, there was not even one university in the world in which you could go and study cybersecurity. Because cybersecurity was something developed by intelligence agencies, was considered very secret, sensitive, not to talk about, of course, not publishing papers, this is absurd, the enemy is reading your papers. And, and, and uh, uh, therefore, when we started dealing with it in 2001, I mean, 10 years before that, it was quite uh, um, uh, daring in a way, daring uh, move. You, you were pioneering this uh, process, which is now accepted all over the world. Yeah, I always say that <coughs> Israel may not uh, invented, invented the uh, technology because uh, major countries in the world started to look at what nowadays we call cyber security at the 80s, I'm speaking about 1980s, uh, for, for the same very simple reason that computers uh, uh, every year and half becomes uh, more or less half the size double the power of computation. This is what we call Moore's law, after Gordon Moore. We observed it in 1965. Five years after the first chip uh, built from transistors from silicon was ever built. And, and because of this, uh, people started to store information in computers at the 80s. Now, if you are an intelligence service and your mission in life is to get the information from the other side, you have to find a way to hack into those computers to, to, to take the information out of it. And so intelligence services um, uh, started being interested in developing the technology that nowadays we call cyber technology in the 80s. And I should mention that during that time, you got your PhD in 1988, from here, but before that, you served in the Israeli Air Force, develop in technology, developing weapon system, and so you're closely related to the military side of it, and you also sat on the board yeah, of, of uh, the Israel aviation I, I, industry. Uh, my 
personal involvement in cybersecurity, when I was still wearing uniforms, uh, started seriously in uh, 19, <coughs> uh, 1993. occupation for every field of our life. Uh, I told you that no, there was not one university on the globe that you could go and study cybersecurity. One of the, our recommend, my recommendations in this plan was that every university in Israel will have a cyber research center. Every university in Israel will teach cybersecurity and give degrees in cybersecurity. And this is Not only this, we, we ask ourselves, okay, where do the students come from? Usually in a normal country, they come from uh, high school, but no one in high school ever heard, I'm speaking now about 2011, okay, ever heard about cybersecurity. We still have in Israel, uh, at the end of high school, something we call matriculation examination. Uh, the subjects, some of them are, are uh, obligatory, some of them you can... choose from a small list. You can always choose the level. And, and we added to these uh, subjects, we added cybersecurity. So today, every high school student in Israel who is interested in computers and cybersecurity, can, uh, the, the, the school has to teach him and to prepare him for this uh, matriculation examination. In Israel, in between high school and uh, university, there is another kind of school, which is the military service, because we have a compulsory service for every 18 old uh, boys and girls. And, and as I told you before, we, like other countries in the world, had already cyber, military cyber units acting mainly for intelligence, not only for intelligence, but also to use the technology in order to <clears throat> to cause physical damage to some uh, uh, systems that are controlled by computers uh, through the computer. And, 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 uh, uh, and now we created a system in which the military can look at the marks of uh, high school students, sort the right ones, have them when they are 18, then they have to go to a military service, uh, send them to the units that uh, are dealing with uh, cyber technology. And later on, they, they finish, they go sometimes, many times, most of the times to the university, sometimes directly to the industry, sometimes they mix it. So we, we build the whole ecosystem and we are doing now, uh, we're doing it now for more than 10 years. So at the end of the day, we, we uh, uh, succeeded in this. Manpower or knowledgeable people is the most essential element almost in any technology, of course, in cybersecurity, but it's not enough. We uh, thought, how can we build also an industry in order to maintain this for four years, not as our 
one blow uh, act. And, uh, and at that time, we almost didn't have any significant cyber industry all over the world because it was, as I told you, a military business, a secret sensitive. And uh, so we had to start with startups. I mean, and we had to find mechanisms that will encourage young people. Startups usually are, are coming from bottom up. Uh, the ideas created by, by young people, uh, and you have to find a way to encourage them to come with ideas more in cybersecurity and less in other less needed technologies. Uh, so we, we set up those uh, through the Innovation Authority and other tools that the government had. And, and at the end, if you, I, I look some 11, 12 years uh, afterwards, after we initiated it, uh, the success is, is uh, more, much more than what I personally imagined when I submitted a plan to the government. I'll give you a few, few numbers. Uh, startups, for example. Uh, startups is, is a kind of uh, mechanism which is built on a, a huge cycle of newborns, uh, startups every year. Most of them die, only few survive. But if you have enough uh, in the cycle, uh, the rate of success of startups in Israel is only 4%, which means every, Every startup someone starts with uh, has a 96% probability of dying. Only 4%. But after 10 years, some of those 4% succeeded. Some were grown companies. Some were even what we call unicorns. That is uh, worth of more than 1 billion US dollars uh, company. And if you, are, if you ask yourself how many unicorns, cyber unicorns, I'm speaking about cyber, are on the globe, something like uh, more or less 500 unicorns. How many of them are Israeli companies? 30%, 3 0%. So after 10 years, it, of course, we are not 30% of, uh, of uh, people on the globe, as you know, but this is what happens if you start early before all the others. Uh, another uh, um, uh, um, interesting data is, uh, for example, the investment in cybersecurity. Okay? You take investment usually comes either from governments or from the business sector. Uh, governments' data are very hard to, to put your hands on. So I'll speak only about uh, business sector investment you can ask yourself how much money is invested by business sector all over the globe. In, in the US, Israel, uh, Hungary, Romania, you name it. Okay, then you can sum it up and ask how much of it is going to Israeli companies. When I submitted my report uh, 2010-11, uh, I wrote that it was we can have some, maybe 5% of the, of the investment. And in 2018, we raised the tolls because we crossed the 18%. I mean, 2018, 18% of all investment globally 
in cybersecurity went to Israeli companies. 2019, global business sector in cyber security in Israel than in the US, okay? Um, uh, uh, unfortunately, this uh, stopped because we have uh, uh, some chaotic process today in Israel, which is some people call uh, uh, juridical uh, reform or, or revolution and uh, it's it's uh, an age of uncertainty. I hope we will uh, overcome it. Yeah, investors don't like uncertainty. Yeah, but but these were the numbers until at least a half a year ago. Until the first that's half. that's a stunning success. That's yeah. a stunning success. We try to repeat it in AI, in artificial intelligence. I mean, um, we were one of the I think maybe the first country in the world which used. Artificial intelligence uh, in cybersecurity. The idea was very simple. Um, uh, it was a reaction to what uh, Snowden exposed in the U.S. Um, we let's let's say we have we want to protect our networks, okay, and we want to clean the networks. Well, maybe we should just tell our our viewers and our listeners. Uh, he, Professor Ben Israel, is talking about Edward Snowden was the American subcontractor who leaked over one million documents. Yeah. And what he exposed in this was one of, one of the things he exposed was about the way uh, uh, the NSA in the US protected the networks, uh, um, the American uh, communication networks. Let's say we look at the network and we would like to clean it from malware, from what people call viruses, okay? How do you detect a virus? The, the classical way was to take every series of bits running from one node to another node of the network, decode it, go down to the level of content, and look if there is a malware there, a signature of a malware. If not, you ignore it. If yes, you do something against it. But by doing it, the, the NSA actually read all the messages sent from one uh, one uh, people to another people or something like this, and mainly of American citizens. We are not speaking here about uh, the enemy, the bad guys, or nothing like this, but your own citizens. So we, we, had to, we wanted to solve this problem, and the solution we found here in Israel was to take a computer, looking at the traffic of all those bits and detecting suspicious series of bits, suspicious of carrying viruses, not by going to the level of content, we wanted to avoid it, mm -hmm. but by the behavior of the series of, uh, of bits. This you can do if you have what we call machine learning, a computer that learns what is the normal behavior of a normal, innocent, a message 
And what is abnormal, those uh, uh, malware viruses behave abnormally. And, and we, this we did uh, from uh, 2014-15. Snowden affair exposed in 2013. So gradually we understood that AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning is one of the cores of uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, can help us in cybersecurity. Then the bad guys, they found that we use machines to protect our networks. And they started using artificial intelligent machines from their side to learn how our machines are detecting what is normal and abnormal and to deceive our machines. So we have now AI vs AI and this will go forever. And, and, and therefore, AI gradually, a lot of AI technology is merged into cybersecurity. Let's talk about the bad guys for a second. Um, would it be accurate to say that the bad guys, at the end of the day, don't have a chance against governments like the American government, the British government, the Israeli government, that have tremendous capacity to innovate? and always come up with a solution. Would that be accurate to say? Uh, At the end of the, the day. I, I agree that uh, uh, governments are much more powerful than uh, small groups, but it's not really accurate because the bad guys will always attack only your weak points. They will not attack a- anything. I mean, and you don't know. You don't know. And whatever you do, you will always have uh, weak points. Uh, you cannot really block every crack in the wall if you don't know even where the crack is, etc., etc. And therefore, they have some advantage, which is usually, by the way, if you speak about wars and security, this was usually uh, taken by offensive. I mean, it's known, in let's say, in classical world, war, if we remember Clausewitz, he always said that you need three times more soldiers Uh, he was writing in the 19th century, okay? Three times more soldiers to defend yourself than to attack. The attacker needs smaller power because he can choose the right place, the right time, the, the right weak point to attack. Same happens here too. Uh, some people may come with an idea to use a certain weak point in our system, and we cannot really uh, defend absolutely e- everywhere. Although, of course, governments usually have more capabilities than uh, uh, individuals. Now, you mentioned the elite club of uh, five or a little bit more countries that are. So we can all assume in that you know, elite club of cybersecurity nations, you have the United States. Uh, I would assume Canada is in there. I would assume the Great Britain is in there. Israel is part of that elite group. Are there any surprising countries to our listeners uh, that you can include in that group, that countries that really excel when it comes to cybersecurity? Uh, no, well, I, I, I wouldn't say in a surprise. I mean, you, uh, you can add to the list that you mentioned also China, of course, and, and Russia, um, uh, the UK. 
but all of these names will not be surprise names. I mean, the only surprise may be Israel, which is much smaller than all the other uh, uh, states that you mentioned. Now, let's talk about space a little bit, because you're also the head of the Israeli Space Agency. And I was, another, <laughs> another correction, I was the, head, the chairman of Israeli Space Agency for 17 years until uh, last year. Last no, year, no, okay. So you're the immediate past chairman yeah. of Israel's uh, yeah. space agency. So people, you know, when they think of Israel, they don't instinctively associate Israel with space. But you know, and many many of our listeners know, that Israel um, can make significant contribution. So can you tell us a little bit about the work that the agency does and what is the contribution Israel is making to the world in that area? Okay. Now, what, when we decided to go seriously into space technology, this was like, uh, as it happened, by the way, in, in Russia or Soviet Union, to be more accurate, um, and the U.S., etc. at the beginning, it was because of defense, not because of science or technology or something like that. It was uh, related to defense, Cold War, etc. We all remember this story. In our case, it was defense, but the almost the other way around. I mean, because uh, we started seriously looking and developing uh, into space technology after we signed the first peace agreement in with Egypt in uh, the Camp David Accord in uh, 1980, more or less. Okay, 1980. One, one the cornerstone of this. Uh, um, agreement between us and uh, Egypt after many years of war, continuous war between the two states. The cornerstone was that um, uh, uh, we will evacuate uh, Sinai Peninsula and the Egyptians will never uh, militarize it, I mean, will never put a significant military force in this half um, uh, island. Now, how do you check it? I mean, this was after dozens of years of war, not really, no, no, no real trust between the two sides, and we wanted to check, to verify that the Egyptians are not putting military force in the Sinai. Until that moment, we could always send our reconnaissance aircraft, take photograph, and verify it. But now we have peace with Egypt. They are sending your aircraft to the over the border to the other side is not something states in peace are doing. Okay, so the only way to solve it and and uh, was to use uh, uh, reconnaissance satellites. And the same Prime Minister Menachem Begin, who signed the peace agreement with Egypt, decided to initiate a, a new program to build reconnaissance satellites. Now, this, this time, this was the beginning of the 80s. Um, <clears throat> the only countries in the world which had do something in space, okay, were, of course, uh, the Soviet Union, um, US, China, India, and Japan. The Europeans started uh, at the beginning, uh, Britain started to, to, to do it, and then France started to do it, and then they, they, decide, they, they came to the conclusion that France or alone or, or Britain alone are too small 
for such uh, uh, a mission, such a task, and they united and, and formed a, a European Space Agency, ESA, and so the European acted uh, until today. They act as one, which space, is based in the Netherlands. Which, which is uh, well, it's 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 uh, the headquarter, but but it's uh, dispersed between the, all those. Uh, now, we were uh, number uh, seven in the world. The next one to us was Japan, with 120 million people, and the rest were were bigger, much bigger. And, and people uh, didn't believe that a small country like this can, can do it. And, and we had a unique problem that no one had. Because, you know, if you want to uh, um, launch a satellite, Earth is rotating around its axis. And it's rotating from, from west to east. You want to launch a satellite, that is, you have to give the satellite enough speed not to fall down. Okay, and and usually you do it, uh, uh, you gain some uh, speed if you do it with the with the rotation of Earth. So when you launch it from west to the to the east, but we are not, we cannot launch something eastern because uh, there are countries there, hostile countries or sometimes friendly countries, and and. Uh, the rocket that carries the satellite uh, is usually has many stages. They will fall on the head of these uh, countries. They cannot do. The only way we can launch our satellites is the against the rotation of Earth is into the Middle East. That is uh, uh, to the west, which means we lose a lot of energy. So we had to solve this. It took us almost ten years to. I mean, how do you solve it? You cannot build a small telescope because the size of the telescope is determined by the resolution you want to achieve. Okay? And uh, a small telescope, small resolution. Big telescope, uh, 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 the resolution becomes better and better. And therefore, uh, we had uh, to find materials that will make our satellites uh, less... Uh, heavy, make them lighter and lighter, okay? Uh, you cannot, uh, for example, you need a telescope. Telescope need uh, lenses. Uh, uh, lens, uh, the, the diameter is determined by the resolution you want. You take, um, uh, lens cannot be very uh, 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 thin. Thin, should be thick enough because uh, it goes through from plus few hundred degrees above yeah. zero to minus few hundred degrees and, and, and therefore should be thick enough. And if you make the calculation of three lenses, what is the weight of three lenses is more than 300 kilograms. Okay? We build our satellite. The total weight of the satellite, the first satellite we built, the total weight, including the lenses, the telescope, all the systems, electronics, uh, communication, everything, uh, uh, the total weight was 250 kilograms, which means we found other material that do the same um, uh, work, but, uh, but different from the regular materials. And, and uh, the only, when we launched our first satellite, the only satellite in the world, 
that had a similar resolution to our satellite was an American satellite which weighed uh, four tons, four, 4,000 kilograms compared to 250 of our satellite. Uh, this, And today we're launching many yeah, nano-satellites. Yeah, today, because of the Moore's law that I mentioned, because technology becomes lighter, cheaper, smaller, everything because of the computers. Because of this, there is a general trend, not only, I mean, when we began it in Israel, we were the only one to invest in, in those directions. But fortunately, the whole world is uh, realizing uh, you do something lighter, you also pay less for doing it. I mean, uh, there, there is always a, a number, how much you have to pay for putting one kilogram in space, okay? And, and the more kilograms you have, the more you pay. And, and we, 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 we didn't do it for commercial, for economic reasons, but for, as I told you, because of the constraints we had. But we found we have a kind of economical asset. And so we started uh, uh, developing it. The whole world now is going in this direction. This is what we call a uh, uh, new space trend. Uh, it's, we are not yet there. Most of the activity is still done by governments and, and big, huge companies, not uh, small ones. But we are in the front of uh, uh, um, uh, developing those technologies. Now, when we speak about space, space at the beginning was, uh, as I said, started by Ministry of Defense. And my last, uh, my last uh, duty as, uh, I mean, my last 10 years in the ministry, of, I was for 10 years uh, wearing uniform. As a general, I was in charge of the R&D, research and development, first of the IDF, Israeli Defense Forces, and then of the Ministry of Defense. And then I was in charge of the defense space program, among other things. So it was only natural that uh, after I retired, I became um, the chairman of Israeli Space Agency, which is, uh, uh, um, uh, shares the, the uh, development between the defense and, I mean, we do, uh, the, the Israeli Space Agency is doing the, all the other non-defense space activities. That is, starting from industry and going to, to communication satellites and science and technology. The first uh, non-defense uh, satellite we launched, now I'm speaking about non-defense, okay, was a joint uh, program between us and France um, uh, for, uh, it's a satellite that was launched uh, to what we call low Earth orbit, more or less 500 kilometers above Earth. But looking, uh, looking again, um, it's, it's kind of reconnaissance satellites, but looking not through a regular normal telescope, but through something which we call multispectral telescope, looking uh, and, and, and being able to detect uh, certain wavelengths that are um, typical for pollution, 
the, the goal of it was to study and, and give scientific data, collect scientific data on pollutions of seas, rivers, water. Then we enlarged it to uh, the mission to uh, uh, monitor, in a way, agriculture, because you can, uh, once you can detect certain ingredients that uh, uh, you don't see with your bare eyes, and then you can tell about uh, what if this field maybe may have not enough water, the other one may have too much water, etc., etc. So you can use it for the sake of monitoring ag agriculture. And this is entirely non-defensive uh, task. And today, uh, uh, in, in certain components, uh, I mean, there are many countries in the world that use satellites. I mean, the, the, usually the satellites are produced by less than 10 countries in the world. But there are some 100 and more countries which buy from these 10, 10 uh, countries satellites. You look at many of, of, uh, of thousands of satellites that are now in space, many of them has Israeli components. Okay, You have a rover, a kind of a vehicle going on Mars, Curiosity. It has a subsystem, in this case, it's a, a, a cooling the spectrometer in this rover, which was made in a kibbutz in Israel, okay? Uh, you look at, uh, there was, a, a Japan landed a, um, a, a kind of a, a lander satellite uh, on a meteorite uh, three years ago. The computer was built by Israeli company. And Components, when I speak not about uh, full system satellites, but about components, you find it in hundreds of satellites already in, in space. Now, we, we're in the interest of time. Uh, I mean, we can, we can talk about this for hours. I wanted to ask you before we conclude to tell us a little bit about Cyber Week. And keep in mind that many of the people listening to us right now are very interested in participating. And so tell us about this just ended. Uh, next year's plan. Okay. Uh, like the name of the Cyber Research Center here at Tel Aviv University, which I, I direct, it is interdisciplinary in the right sense. When I say interdisciplinary, I mean not only, not combining only the discipline of engineering and computer science. I mean, this is also interdisciplinary, but very closed disciplines. I speak about other issues, okay? Uh, let's say I would like to uh, uh, do something in cyber technology, and for this I would like to tempt you to give me, you are the user, I would like to tempt you to give me your password, okay? I need to know something about the psychology of the user. Certain things I can do te technically, but are not allowed by law. So I have to take into consideration legal issues. If we speak about uh, social networks, it's not enough to speak about psychology of the user, but about mass psychology, uh, business uh, considerations. I mean, we, when, we, when I say cyber security, first thing jumping to our mind is some technology, but this is wrong. I mean, it is true that we are now in uh, living on the 21st century, it is true that in this century, every problem we have, 
we tend to solve with technology. But we usually forget the problem is not really purely technological. Problem usually comes from social issues, uh, uh, humans, humans etc. etc. Et yeah. So we believe that you cannot really understand the problem if, it, if you don't combine multi-disciplines to understand it. Legal, I mean, if, if you look at the, we have at the Cyber Research Center of Tel Aviv University, we have something like 250 researchers. It's a big one. Some 60 of them are professors, the rest are uh, postdocs, uh, PhD students, etc. You look at the, some two-thirds come from the technological disciplines, computer science, mathematics, two-thirds two of the researchers, uh, engineering, but one-third come from the school of law, um, business school, uh, this, this department of uh, psychology, economy, and business, etc. I mean, and, 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 and we work together. I mean, the, the research is done by mixed groups. Now, now, who's invited to the Cyber Week? Now, now the same with the, with the Cyber Week. Cyber Week is a conference. Same approach. I mean, it is interdisciplinary. Not only a, a scientist and technologist, but decision makers. Um, uh, people who work uh, on regulation and, and uh, industry, of course, okay? And we had in the last, uh, last event we did a few weeks ago, 11,000 people, 11,000, and, 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 and I remind you, it's a conference, it's not an exhibition. I mean, people, you come to the campus, we do it on the campus of Tel Aviv University, you see people sitting in rooms and talk. No, it's not an exhibition. 11,000 people coming from 99 uh, countries. It's, it's a huge number. Uh, some 400 speakers, half of them uh, foreigners, the other half uh, Israelis, and all communities, as I told you, governments, uh, etc. So with that, uh, I'd like to end our conversation because we, we're running out of time. And, to, and really, thank you for educating us about this. And to end with really an invitation, really, to our, to our friends uh, all over the world to come and participate in this amazing event, 11,000 people, 400 last, speakers. Last week of next June. It's the last week of June of 2024. And to all of our friends, goodbye from Tel Aviv until we see you again. Bye-bye. This is Taiwan Bound, the English language podcast of Tel Aviv University. Please welcome your host, Ido Aroni, Tel Aviv University's graduate, member of the Board of Governors, lecturer, writer, and veteran diplomat.